0: This is an incredible deal. You don't want to miss it. Go ahead and sign up at com slash join.
1: We have an opportunity to turn this year, 2020, into a green light. I don't know when that's going to be. But we have an opportunity to pull the assets out of this time and reveal the assets of this time in this time of a new beginning.
0: I believe that the opposite of depression Thanks to Jenny Life for supporting Don't Keep Your Day Job. Did you know men have more life insurance than women and they have twice as much coverage? Jenny Life wants to shrink that gap. No matter whether you're a working mom, single mom, expecting mom, single, or if your kids are four-legged fur babies, you still need life insurance. Go to JennyLife.com DreamJob to get a free quote right now. Also, thanks to Indeed. Tomorrow's team is only as strong as today's hire. Indeed is here to help you start looking for your next great hire right now. Indeed, the number one job site in the world, get a free $75 credit at indeed.com slash DreamJob. Terms and conditions apply, offer valid through December 31st. And thanks to ShipStation, no matter where you're selling, Amazon, Etsy, your own website, ShipStation brings all your orders into one simple interface, making them really easy to manage from any device, even your cell phone. Use my offer code DreamJob to get a 60-day free trial. Hey, guys, it's Kathy Heller. Welcome back to another episode of Don't Keep Your Day Job. I'm so lit up right now um, for so many reasons. I just came back from six days with Dr. Joe Dispenza in Marco Island, and I literally meditated six to eight hours a day for six days straight, which if you would have asked me before the week started, could I do that? I would have said no, But wow, I learned so much and there are so many things I want to share, but we have such an amazing episode today, so I'm not going to get into it right now, but I'll share one thing, which is change your energy, change your life. And I just really can see that it's all about how we resonate and what we see as being possible. And then when we kind of like hold that resonance and we walk toward it, it's just amazing the synchronicity. It's just amazing how things start to happen. But one of the things that, that we need to really surrender into is the worthiness, that we are worthy of receiving that which we dream of. And we are. We are worthy because we are each a soul. We are each a spark of the divine And we have so much to give. And I see this imposter syndrome everywhere. And it's because we don't really know what we are and who we are and that we are this life force, right? We are this energy, this goodness, this oneness, this wholeness, this this pure light that really was put here to serve and to connect to the the divinity and the goodness in in each and every one of us. And so when we play bigger, we elevate everyone. So there's no reason to hide our light or dim our light or play small. So let's go. Let's keep dreaming up the future and believing in it. You know, at the beginning of last year at my daughter's school, I remember the principal standing up and saying, what we need in this world is optimists because we need to solve problems and we need to innovate. And in order to do that, we have to be unrelentingly there for what's possible and I want you to dream it up and just feel into the possibility and what it would feel like if your dreams came true. And the more you feel it and the more you just walk toward it, you'll just be caught off guard by the sweetest surprises. And now today, Mr. Matthew McConaughey is here and he is such a living example of this. You're going to hear his incredible story today. And there's so many moments in his story, where he literally created something from nothing, just by virtue of being fully in the moment, and fully dropped into the possibility of the greatest possible adventure. And I am so, so thankful that I had this moment to sit with him, because there are times where you admire someone from afar for years, and then you meet them, and they are even more than you could ever have dreamed that they are. He has such a depth and his presence is so powerful because he is such a kind person with so much to say. And let's get into it because he's here. And I can't wait to share this with you. So most of you probably know Matthew as an Academy Award winning actor. He's been in amazing films like Dallas Buyers Club, Days and Confuse, A Time to Kill, Magic Mike, Mud, Wolf of Wall Street, and pretty much every awesome rom-com in the 2000s, but some of his proudest achievements include the work he's done as a philanthropist, a professor, storyteller, father, husband, minister of culture, and now he's an author. His new book, Green Lights, just came out, and it is a must-read. This is so much more than a typical memoir. I literally sat down and read it cover to cover within like two hours. It's a playbook. It's a collection of anecdotes and poetry about the adventures throughout Matthew's life that played such a critical role on his values and the opportunities that got him to where he is today. It's so, so good. I'm not exaggerating. I read it in one sitting. Today, we're going to dive real deep into some of the best stories and the lessons that he's really worked through in his life. And I highly recommend that you get your copy because this book can change the way you approach your own life. This was such an honor. I feel so blessed to have had this time with him, not just because he's a very famous and very handsome human, but because he's such a good, generous, human being who's truly doing his part to make the world a little bit brighter. So let's get to it. Please welcome the phenomenal Matthew McConaughey. Matthew McConaughey. Somehow I died and went to heaven. And I always been so in love with who you are because your legacy is who you are. Like I sat down and read the entire thing right in the same moment because I'm like, he's so generous. I cried like three times. Like you don't need to write a book. Like this is so generous. Thank
1: you. Look, it was a gift to myself as well. At the same time, I hope it's a gift for, for many others. It was a lot of freedom for me. I've never been one that had the tendency to like to look back over my shoulder and have a look at what was back there, good or bad. You know, I mean, I, I would thought I'd be embarrassed. Thought I'd be ashamed of certain things. I was? But most of the things I was embarrassed about, I ended up laughing at most of the things I've to be ashamed about, it. I ended up forgiving myself about it. So it was a big one for me to really see it was a history lesson for me in my own life to better understand where I am and see where I'm going.
0: Uh, okay, so let's talk about what it means to catch green lights. Yeah, explain the concept to these awesome listeners.
1: So let's let's break it down. The literal uh meaning is look. Green lights are designed on the highways of life to keep traffic flowing. They say, proceed, go onward. Yes, we agree with what you're doing. Carry on. Um, then we have red and yellow lights. They stop us and they slow us down. The red and yellow lights in life, we don't usually like those when we hit them. Uh, they're not what we want. Um, they're hardships. They're interventions. They're an argument. They're a slap in the face. They're they're a jackknife. They're a death. Um, they're COVID. But eventually as they do on the highway those red and yellow lights do turn green now how do they turn green it can sometimes turn green by the way we see the yellow and red hey you know what i I, there's a meaning in this pause there's there's a reason i'm stopped right now there's a reason my flow has been stopped that i'm getting introspective doing inventory in my so said life and in noticing that and learning those lessons that's when we turn a yellow and red light in our life green We can engineer green lights for ourselves. We can make decisions every day and engineer our lives to tee ourselves up and be kind to our future selves to tee up more green lights in our future. Sometimes green lights just fall on our lap. We're just in the zone, man. Can't get in the perfect line in the checkout line at the supermarket. And it was quicker than the one that was half as short next to us. Sometimes we just roll and they happen. But the, the main thread or baseline is that eventually the red and yellows turn green. When do we notice that? Sometimes we notice it next week, next month, next year sometimes we're going to we're not going to notice how those red and yellow lights are green until we're on our deathbed and I also believe that sometimes those green lights from some of our red and yellow lights life will not be realized until maybe until our great 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 grandkids realize them it. so it's not foolish optimism, it is constructive optimism, but it is about creating them and also turning yellow and reds and green in our lives uh, or, or seeing how they turn green later in our lives.
0: What just is so. It's like awe-inspiring is that you're literally the definition of like the biggest movie star and you never made things your identity. Like reading this book and like looking at the way you lived in LA and like interacted with your journey, like you are the only celebrity i can think of who's so much more human than anything else like none of that defines you so it seems to me like everything was green lights because in a way you you accept and and are in the flow with everything and so many of my listeners matthew they care so much what people think about them Mm -hmm. and they're so worried about pleasing everybody and i wonder what you would say to them about that because that doesn't seem to be who you are
1: well and, and let, let's be very clear. I care about pleasing people too. I, <laughs> I care. You know, I, I, I do. That's human. There's a great Sammy Davis Jr. quote. I don't know what uh, um, success is, but I know failure is trying to please everybody. Uh, my yeah. favorite word in the world is unanimous. I want unanimous. Guess what? It's not achievable. Look, I've gone through and read all of my bad reviews in my career. Now, there are some reviews that on the first line, I could tell, oh, that son of a gun was going to snark me before he, he wrote this before he even saw the movie. He was already <laughs> out for me. You know what I mean? So I'm not going to please that person. There's other ones that I read. I was like, oh, that's good constructive criticism. I think I'm going to take that with me. Um, some of it was funny. You cannot please everybody. But it's OK to keep trying. But just don't do it at the expense of yourself. Don't try to please other people at the expense, because you over-leverage yourself. we got 24 hours in a day. I write about this in the book. I had a time when I had five things on my proverbial Monday morning desk. It was, I was an actor, I was a family man, I was father, I had my foundation, I had a music label, and a production company. Yeah. My phone rang from my production company one day, and I went to pick it up, and I paused mid-reach for the phone, because I saw what number it was from, my office. And so immediately, while my hand's hanging there, I'm going like, you're pausing to pick up the phone call from your office where you're paying six salaries and you're paying the rent. Something's off. That's not good. So I hung up the phone, called my lawyer, shut down the music label, shut down the production company, said, I want to be an actor for hire. I want to have the foundation and I want to I, and I want to be a family man. So I want to make A's in three things mm-hmm. that I was previously making B's when it was five things. So part of it's process of elimination. And you, and you can't really please, you can't, you can over leverage yourself, to where you you got a bunch of little campfires all over the place but you don't have a big flame anywhere so pick out your fires that you want to pick out your gardens you want to tend and water those and have one garden that's really growing great produce instead of five gardens that are grown weeds
0: well this jumps ahead towards the end of the book but since you just mentioned it i mean the part of the book where you called your agent and you said i don't want to make rom-coms and you cried your eyes out and said to your wife like we're really doing this and you're being offered parts for like 15 million dollars like on the daily and it brought me back to the beginning of the book where you said your parents taught you a few things and one of them was not to lie yeah and it's just like that's such a through line in this book it like brought me to tears like you know how not human that is in this world for a person to be offered that over and over again over and over again and you were like I can't lie. I can't do it. I don't want to do it. My Let's nice talk stuff. about that. Let's talk about what happened there.
1: Well, so I'm rolling. I've taken the rom-com baton from Hugh Grant, and I ran with it.
0: You were quite good at it. Yep.
1: loved it. loved it, too. And I think I did four. And they were major. They were all good hits. You can go make a rom-com for a middle, middle budget. We were making money. I was the go-to rom-com guy. And right around this time in my life, I think it's about 12 years ago or something like that, Camille and I have shepherded uh, our firstborn son into the world. The only thing I ever knew I wanted to be was a father. It was now true. Camille and I are getting close. I met the woman and I'm with the woman I want to spend the rest of my life with. My life was vital. I got angrier. I I, I got happier. I cried louder. I laughed louder. It was like, I'm (laughs) feeling it. And I remember saying, well, my work, these, these romantic comedies. I like doing them. But when I read one, I feel like I could do it tomorrow morning. And I said, nothing wrong with that. I was like, well, yeah, I know. But, boy, I want to be challenged. I want to be scared in my boots in the right way about my work. And I said, I want my work to possibly challenge the vitality I have in my life. I remember looking in the mirror and saying, look, buddy, if your life's so vital and your work feels like it's not as vital, be thankful that it's in that order because it can go the other way you know, where your work feels vital and your life doesn't feel vital. So I said, I at least wanted to challenge the vitality of my life. And I said, well, what I want to do? And I laid it out there. A lot of these things I wanted to do. And guess what? Everything was, no, nope. <laughs> that's not getting financial with you in that lead. No, nope, you're not getting offered that part. No, nope, no, nope, no. Nope. So because I couldn't do what I wanted to do, uh, by process of elimination, I decided to stop doing what I was doing. You mentioned it. I cried, wet the floor with tears talking to Camilla about, you know, should I make this strong move in my career to just say no to those things? How long will I go with that work? I don't know. I check with my money manager. How do I save my money? I check with my agent. Okay, I got your back. And here we go. Luckily, I had a newborn son and Camilla there to sort of keep me sort of grounded in purpose because it went on for months. First off, nothing came in but romantic comedies. And I say, nope, no, thank you. No, thank you. No, thank you. Read them, no thinking, no thinking no, thing. That one you brought it up, $8 million offer, no thank you. Same script, $10 million for a dollar offer, no thank you. Same script, $12.5 million offer, uh, ellipsis, 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 no thank you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let me quit a little bit of pause. Did you say 12,5? Oh, hang on. Now it comes in at 14,5. And what is oh old Mr. Puritanical McConaughey say? Let me read that script again. <laughs> I, read, I read that script again. And guess what? For that amount of money, it was a better written script. It was funnier. I had more angles. I think I could make this work. <laughs> oh yeah, I think this could work. It was the same exact words as the eight million dollar offer, right. but for that much more money. It was better written script. <laughs> so, I do end up saying no to that, and I said no to a few others. And that's when Hollywood got the signal that I wasn't going to do rom coms anymore. Then nothing came in. Absolutely nothing uh, for a total of twenty months. And what happened? Oh my in god. And I got a little wobbly along that time. You know, I had, (sighs) the days were long. I thought about changing careers. I didn't know when, you know, I would find some water in this desert or someone come to me. But again, I had my son who I was shepherding into the world to keep me sort of grounded with. I knew if I always went to my son and Camilla and the family that, you can't go wrong. If you go there, if you're looking to waste time or you're that bored or you're getting that unsettled, go to that, Matthew, and that's never going to be a bad thing to go to. And that helped sustain me along the way until 20 months later, I became a new good idea because mm-hmm. I wasn't in the rom-coms. You didn't see me shirtless on the beach. Where the hell did McConaughey go? <laughs> unbranded for almost two years, and all of a sudden, when I was out of people's eye line, people didn't know where I was or what I was doing. Somebody goes you know what would be a good idea for this movie, this dramatic role? McConaughey. And then that's when those roles started coming in. A oh my
0: God. You know, you add up all that money, all those movies that came to you, like, like water, just so easy. And it's like, whatever that would have totaled a hundred million, $200 million, like that bought you back your soul. Like, and that's like what your children, what for kids, it's not what's taught. It's what's caught. Right. What a lesson. Like, that's who my father is. Like, yeah,
1: you could have played all those roles and it wasn't, what was it worth? Like well, unbelievable test. It's a good one. We haven't even gone through with our kids about that moment in our lives, but I tell you one that is based on that same thing. And this is all forms of delayed gratification. This is all forms of having a long view and long money. And how do we make long-term investments in ourselves and in our soul? When I won the Oscar for Dallas Buyers Club for Ron Woodruff, my kids came. We're like, Whoa, what's the trophy for? <laughs> you remember a year and a half ago when we were on location and you'd wake up in the morning at seven and Popeye was already gone to work and then I'd get home at night and have dinner with y'all and have a drink and tuck you in bed and y'all told me that my lint neck looked like a giraffe. Remember I was really skinny? Like, yeah, we remember that. I go, well, what Popeye was doing every day when he left work, the work I was doing that day, a year and a half later, people gave me a trophy and said I did really great work then. So again, they clicked for them. They got, oh, you mean you can do something today that will pay you back tomorrow in life? And I'm like, yeah, that's the ROI. That's the, the green lights I'm talking about. You can create green lights by the person you are, by the choices you are, in our career, in our relationships, if you lay it down today and tomorrow and again.
0: So good, and let's talk about that movie for a second because I didn't know until I read this book that you had read that script so many years earlier and they kept saying, we can't finance it, we can't finance it. Tell everybody that story.
1: So I got I read Dallas Spire's Club immediately was like, oh, OK, this is the way I'd like to approach this subject with a character like this. This is a period piece age drama, but there's oh. the about it, it had teeth, it had humor it had humanity. And I was like, oh, I want to attach myself to this. Actually, I want to make this. Check around, check around town. Nobody wants to make period age drama, especially with Matthew McConaughey in the lead. So I hang on to it. I get what's called attached to it. Now, other people try to come get it. Other directors want to make the movie, but not with me. I run them off. Other actors try to get the script. I run them off. I hang on to it, believing it will have its day. So about a year or so after that 20-month sabbatical where all of a sudden I come back and I do Killer Joe and Magic Mike's and uh, Mud, Paperboy, and, and I forget what else, some other movies, all of a sudden I'm getting a little enough traction, maybe enough heat to maybe get Dallas Buyers Club made but still no directors are really coming around. And uh, Jean-Marc Vallée, I saw this movie crazy from him and he was interested in the script, so we met in New York and he came aboard. And I remember me and the producers and Jean-Marc just started saying, I think it was in October that year, we're doing Dallas Spires Club in October. October one, New Orleans. <laughs> we didn't have any money, but we were doing it. So we start acting like we're a real production, we're casting and moving on and on. And, on. and behind closed doors, my, my, my agent would be like, you know, there's no money for the movie yet. It's not, really, it's not really that. I'm like, no, we're doing it in October. Okay. So everywhere around town, we're doing it in October. <laughs> and just betting on it, not flinching, not asking permission. Um, and I remember I got a call from Jean-Marc like eight days before filming. He says, Matthew, I need $7 million to make this movie. But um, I only have 4.9. and don't know how to make it. But if you show up on day one, I will show up too. We both showed up. He cut the grip department. Not one light was used on that entire film. We shot it in 25 days for $4.9 million. Oh, my God. And we just sort of willed it into happening. Yeah, that's how we ended up getting that one made.
0: Oh, my God. You are, in a word, um, awesome and resilient and filled with wonder and just filled with passion. I mean, the commitment to this part and... Of course you got the award. Like it was ridiculous how well you showed up. And I think it's so good for my audience to hear because they think Matthew McConaughey can't get something made. And you just had to keep going with that. Boy, and tell the story about how you say in the book, like you didn't have your speech written.
1: You didn't. No, no. I didn't want a coup de grace. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was like, I'm not, I remember I sat down thinking I was going to write a speech. I was like, well, that's quite arrogant of you, sir. Mm-hmm to think you're going to write a speech for something you had not gotten yet. I said, I'm not writing that down. And I said, no, 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 don't do that. that. That very least could be bad karma. So I didn't write anything down. I did write three words. I said, thanks. Look forward to it. I think I wrote three little shots. And then I didn't know. Um, and I remember looking right before they announced names. I just looked at everyone's name. And the one thing that came on my mind is that my name was the only one that started with an M. So I laid my head back and said, <laughs> I hope I hear And the winner is meh, meh. And I heard Muh, and mom popped up, Bill popped up, whatever popped up. I said, "I think they said my name." And then I went up there and said what I said and meant what I meant.
0: How did that feel for you?
1: Awesome. It felt like, in some ways, like writing this book. In that, it rushed through me a lot of my history. Rushed through me, and I'm not someone who looks at my past that much. All my history, the people, the smiles, the support, Camilla. Delivered me another meal to make sure I stayed on track for the diet. My dad smiled. I saw him smiling. I saw all the people, so many people that had helped me get there. And they flashed through my head in moments where they had helped me along and cared for me. And I saw pick- them pictures. And the same way I try to, when I pray today, that's what I try to see is picture the people I love in their most truest forms. Um, and then end up with a picture of me in my own truest form. And sometimes that's the hardest image to capture. <laughs> But I went through in that moment, I felt those images of those people rush through of moments where we had an honest moment and it just came like flashes. One, two, three, four, however many there were. And then I just talked about the images that I saw.
0: Oh, it's so awesome. And it makes me cry. I feel like if God has a refrigerator, your picture is like right there on his fridge, just like, this is my guy. (laughs) This is my ambassador. I mean, you've been this way for so long, like you've been on this path for such a long time, like this is me. Tell them the truth.
1: What, I mean, when I went to write this book, I understand that my celebrity brings a certain platform. Okay? <sighs> someone's gonna read it because I hey, kind of wrote it. But then I was like, I'm more I'm a celebrity because of who I am. I'm a I I ai was a human, a citizen, a child of God, a man who dreamed of being a father, a man who's tried to be a little bit better each day long before I was ever a celebrity. That's another thing. Now you know, that catch obvious breaks along the way and opportunities Did certain things and my looks get me to certain tables that would maybe I wouldn't <laughs> sure, all those things. So I'm not boo-hooing those that like, no, it was all my, I'm not saying it was all me, but I'm saying it's kind of where Just Keep Living comes from. Hey, wait a minute, well, what else are we supposed to do? My rights as a human, my rights as a citizen, my rights as a father, as a husband, those precede this fickle thing of, of fame, which is real, but it's still a mirage. I remember when I when I sat down to write the day four, I wrote this down. I said, Matthew, the words in this book need to be worthy to share if they are signed by anonymous. And at the same time, they need to be words that only Matthew McConaughey could have written. So that was the sort of the North Star, because I was like, I'm going to get some leverage coming in as Matthew McConaughey, the celebrity. But the words, I can't rely on that. That came after right about who you are that you can share that hopefully people can see themselves in that have nothing to do with your celebrity. And as you know, you've read it. It's not, I'm not. it's not a dish book. I don't tell all there's actually not that much of my career and people in it. There's a lot of nope. people, in it, but it's not a, it's, if you want to tell all and you want to go get some Hollywood dirt, don't buy this book.
0: <laughs> no, it's amazing. And we're so lucky that we got to have a good seat for part of it, that you even stuck your foot in the celebrity world that we all got to see your light because you are so much more human than you are a celebrity. But I just hope, you know, every night when you go to sleep, like that is what people see. That is what you are a lightning rod for. Like, you are just so much more than really than that. Yeah, it's so obvious. <laughs>
1: well, I, that makes me tingle to hear you say that because I can tell you mean it. And I can say I, I don't know that all the time. But, you know, translation is a big word for me. And I'm always early on in my career was like, you know, as an actor, there's what you do. Then there's what gets recorded. Then there's what gets edited. And then there's what's in the final picture. So it's sort of four filters away from the raw expression. Wow. I've yep. always been trying to close those gaps. I've also been trying to close the gaps about, wait, who am I? And who am, am I showing myself to be? There can be a large gap between there. And it's okay. Some people love a large gap and it's okay. I've always been like, no, nah, I don't want it, to. It's too much work. I don't want to have to wear this hat and, and then I go, Well, need- oh, now I'm this. Oh, let me wear this hat. I don't like those entrances and exits and those demarcations. like <laughs> <laughs> press record all the time and you're going to catch some foibles. It's not beautiful all the time. You're going to catch me screwing up and giggling through some things. Where I'm like, oh, I bogeyed on that one. I was clumsy there. But I've always been trying to close that gap between who I'm received to be and who I am. So therefore, back to your first question. Yeah, I do give a damn what other people think.
0: Yep. But
1: I've tried to learn my best not to go. At the expense of how I think and what I believe. And I know I'll never reach unanimous, but fun trying.
0: <laughs> it's just what's so, Matthew. It's just who you are. This conversation is amazing, but let's just take a moment to thank our sponsor. 2020 has reshaped how we work. And even though the year is almost over, businesses everywhere are always gonna be challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. They help you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. You have full control and payment flexibility over your hiring, plus you only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time and there are no long-term contracts. And now Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. More than 3 million businesses everywhere use Indeed for hiring, and 73% of online job seekers in the U.S. visit Indeed each month according to Comscore. So it's clear Indeed can help you get the quality hire you need. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free- free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash DreamJob. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash DreamJob. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. When you're selling online, getting a ton of orders out quickly can be tough. Which shipping carrier should you use? Are you getting the best rates? Will it be delivered in time? That's why you should use ShipStation.com. It's the fastest, easiest, and most affordable way to manage and ship your orders. In just a few clicks, you're managing orders, printing out discounted shipping labels, and getting your products out fast. This means happier holidays for you and your customers. And no matter where you're selling, like Shopify, Amazon, eBay, your own website, ShipStation brings all your orders into one interface you can easily manage from any device, even your cell phone. ShipStation works all the major carriers, including USPS, FedEx, UPS, even international. You can compare and choose the best shipping solution every time. No wonder ShipStation is the number one choice of online sellers. So you're going to ship more in less time with the best rates available. And right now, don't keep your day job listeners can try ShipStation free for 60 days when you use offer code DreamJob. Make sure your business can meet the demands of this massive online shopping season. Get started at ShipStation.com today. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in DreamJob. That's ShipStation.com. Then enter offer code DreamJob, ShipStation.com, Make ship happen. I love the stories you tell in this book, all the stories. The moment where you you traded in your your sports car for the truck again. (laughs) Tell them about that. What did you say you lost that you needed to get back?
1: Uh, My hustle.
0: (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. Amongst other things. So I'm in high school. I got a truck. I got a PA speaker in the front grill of the truck. I'm the guy, like, you know... Greets down, lot ducks down in my cab and all. These students are going to school in the morning going, oh, look at Anne, nice jeans. She's got on today. And then he looks around and everyone goes, oh, and everyone laughs. And I pop my head up and they're like, stop that, quit doing that. Man, we all laugh. I'm the guy who, you and I are going to the concert, man, I don't care if we should up late, we're working our way to the front row. Let's hustle this thing. Well, I'm driving by this Nissan dealership one day and I see this candy red sports car and I decide to pull in. And I mean, this car's the mint condition. I make a deal right there. I trade in my truck, get that sports car. Well, oh, man, I waxed that thing that weekend. It's got T-tops, cherry red. Oh my gosh. <laughs> this is so, I mean, talk about unanimous. Woo-hoo-ha! So now when oh, I, I park in the third parking lot back there where no cars are, because I don't want anyone to open their car door into the side of my cherry red 300 ZX. <laughs> And I instead of being on the speaker and talking and hemming and ha and being in the middle of everybody the fun, I find myself just getting out and getting to school a little bit early and <laughs> leaning against that red sports car. Look at me. Look at my red sports car. Girls come by, hey Matthew. Hey what's up? <laughs> you just gonna stay there, and lean against your red sports car? And I'm like, What's up? Yeah. Well, I mean, about a month goes by and I'm noticing that the chicks are not digging me. All my girls that were friends and everything, they're just like, what's up with Matthew? You know, and after school, I'd take a mudding in the truck. And now I'm like going, hey, you want to go cruise T-Tops down in my new red sports car? And they're like, no, we're going to go with Trey Hickman in his truck and go mudding. And I'm like, oh, well, I start to notice this isn't working. And what I noticed was I was relying on the red sports car. I was letting it try to do the work for me. I quit hustling. I wasn't the fun guy that I was the engaging guy. And that's, red sports car cut me off at the heels and I took that damn thing down. Luckily that truck, my truck was still there and unsold. I traded back in pleaded with that guy. I got to have my truck back, man. This red sports car has screwed me over. I'm in a rut, man. And I got rid of it. I got my truck next morning, pulled back in the first parking lot, got on that PA, started messing with <laughs> that matter jeans and hustling it again. And I was back. I was like, Whoo!
0: Yeah. And that there's such a theme in this book of like, you just, coming back home to yourself. It's like you come back home to yourself and green lights, right? And so I don't know if everybody knows these stories, but thank God you put them in this book. But I I believe you were at the Hyatt and you met Don Phillips. And then he's like, do you act? And you're like, I've done a hand commercial, but tell him what happened that night at the bar.
1: So, so check this out. So I go to the top of the height with my girlfriend this one Thursday night. And the reason I go to the height is because the bartender there is in my film class and he'll give me free drinks. He brings me over a vodka tonic. He goes, hey, there's a guy at the end of the bar. He's in town producing a film. Let me introduce you. Introduce you. His name is Don Phillips. Four hours later, Don Phillips and I have had quite a few vodka and, and are getting <laughs> kicked out because we're loud and obnoxious. I'm taking a cab home to my house. Don's with me. He's going to drop me off. We're talking, get along great. On the ride home, he says, like, you ever done any acting? And I said, yeah, you know, I was <laughs> in commercial and I was in the background of a middle light commercial for that, that, that long. He's like, well, there's this uh, script called Days Confused, a movie I'm in town producing. Uh, you might be right for this small part. Come to this address tomorrow morning, pick it up. I'll have, a, I'll have the scenes written for you. Well, I go down the next morning, I pick up the script. There's a handwritten note from Don and these three scenes marked. Well, I go home and work on these three scenes for two weeks. I come back and I read and I get the part. So I've got the part and I'm scheduled to work in three scenes. Well, you have to do what's called a makeup and wardrobe test on a set. The movie's already shooting. And what it means is you go to the set while they're already shooting another scene. You go through makeup and wardrobe. You come out, the director looks you up and down. Oh, I like this, change this, da, 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 da. But I was not scheduled to work this night that I do the makeup and wardrobe test. And we're shooting at the top notch Drive through to burger uh, stand, and it's, it's a scene in the movie. I walk out on the street. Richard Linklater takes a break in the middle of the shooting, comes over, looks me up and down, laughs. Oh, this is Wooderson. This is great. da 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 And all of a sudden, he starts kind of tickling his chin. and He goes, say, you know, I figure Wooderson's the type of guy who's been with the typical, typical hot chicks, you know, the cheerleaders and such. You, th- you think Wooderson would be interested in the redheaded intellectual? I'm like, oh, yeah, man, Wooderson likes all kind of girls. And he goes, well, Marissa Rabisi playing the role of Cynthia, the redhead intellectual, and she's over here in the car with her nerdy friends. Maybe, I don't know, you think Wooderson might, you know, pull up and try and pick her up. I'm like, give me 30 minutes. I take a walk with myself, and I start going, who's my man? Who's Wooderson? Because there's nothing written here, and I've been invited to improvise this scene. Next thing I know, I'm in the car with the lavalier mic and about to shoot my first scene in a movie I've ever shot, and there's not a word of dialogue written. So I'm going over in my head. Who's my man? Who's Wooderson? What is Wooderson about? And in my head, I say, Wooderson is about my car. Yes. I'm in the 70, my 70 Chevelle. I got that. <laughs> There's one. And I said, Wooderson's about getting high. Oh, oh, Slater's riding shotgun. He's always got a nice doobie rolled up. There's <laughs> Then I go, Wooderson's about rock and roll. I said, oh, I got Ted Nugent's Stranglehold in the eight track rocking right now. I got three. And all of a sudden, I hear action. And as I hear action in my mind, I look up and I go, and there's Cynthia, the redhead intellectual that I'm going to go pick up. And the fourth thing Wooderson's about is picking up chicks. Put it in drive. Said my mind, I got three out of four going to get the fourth. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> and those were the three affirmations for the three things that my character did have on the way to go get his fourth. And the very first words I ever said on film.
0: How am I sitting here right now? What in the heck?
1: <laughs>
0: gift of a gift of a gift. I can't. I'm supposed to act cool. Matthew, that is unbelievable. So unreal. Spectacular. And... What people don't know when reading this book is that like, while you're making this movie, which was only a few weeks, your dad passed away
1: and you went back
0: and you and you kept on and you showed up for it.
1: I got a call and I don't know why, but I always find out about death in the kitchen. Anyway, I get a call one Monday night and the roommate answers it. Hey, it's for you, it's your mom. And I could tell he had a concerned lookup face. So I get on the my mom, she gets her breath, she goes, Hey, Matthew, she goes, your dad died. And I just, boom, hit my knees. Uh, I gather myself, drink a couple cups of coffee, and make the three-and-a-half-hour drive back to Houston that night. Got in very late. Family was still up. We stay up. We have a wake. There's friends come in. People tell stories on him as he wanted. And then we have, you know, three more nights of being up till three in the morning in the kitchen is where we always sat and talked about these family nights, talking about dad and everything. Tears have dropped, all kinds of stuff. And then my family tells me after about four days, you got to go back. You got to go back and finish the job you started. Uh, that's what dad would want you to do. And so I go back and uh, the first night back happened to be the last scene that's in the movie. It's at the football field. And I'm walking around the stadium at sunset with Richard Linklater, the director, which has now become a good friend. And he was like, we started talking about like, what's it all about? Like, he's like, how are you doing? And I was like, man, I'm, I'm okay. Um, you know, I, my dad's gone, but I, I think what it's about is that I can still keep him alive. I can still keep his spirit alive, even though he's physically not here. The things he taught me, the things <sighs> I mean, that he's incentivized me with, the values he's instilled in me, I can keep those alive. I, 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 you just got to keep living, man. I'll keep him alive by keeping his spirit alive like that. And that night on the football field, it actually came out of the mouth of another impro- improvised situation where Randall Pink Floyd's wanting to sign the contract or not. And I go, man, you do what you need to do. But, you know, um, rule, they're going to make more rules on you later in life. But one thing you got to do is you got to keep living, man. L-I-V-I-N. And I remember <laughs> writing that down from then on going, J.K. Living, all lowercase, because you can't own life. So don't make it a proper noun. And I said, there's no G on the end of living because life is a verb. And that was came to me through my relationship of trying to understand how I was best going to be able to get through losing my father. Um, and it's something that stuck with me since because I haven't found any situation that just keep living doesn't apply to. There's a just keep living choice at every turn. And so mm-hmm. I'll continue to have that as one of the flags in my in my banner until I see a place it doesn't make sense with. Which so far and, I-
0: and how many seniors use that as their quote? for their senior quote in their yearbook, so many. And you did him so well in this book because I even said to my husband, after I read it, I walked in, I go, you know how like there's so many friends of ours who keep, you know, talking about what their parents did wrong and their parents didn't serve them here and their parents were like that and my dad yelled and my dad hit and all this stuff. I feel like I love your father reading this book. Like, yeah. It,
1: It scares some people. Some people, their hand goes over their mouth.
0: No, no, no. I love him. And I love that you love him. And I love that you got that that night about the pizza, that he was doing what he knew for, for what he could do with the tools he had. Yep. He wanted to instill in you just tell me the truth. And that you got that, right? Everything was there to teach you wisdom.
1: Yeah. I mean, my family practiced what do you call it? Corporal punishment. You got the bell. You know, I say it in the book. My like, I was like, I mean, there are times I was like, "Will you please ground me, like my friend?" <laughs> <laughs> no, because that's taking your time away from you, and your time is valuable. Bend over, we're getting it over with. And it was always like, "Quit, bam, ow!" Never injured, just hurt, and it was over. You cried, and it was over. Well, the things I remember, and there are values in this. Is why I always, when people go, "Why do you always tell stories of punishment when you talk about the love story of your family?" And There's a couple reasons. One is that they. The reasons we were punished was they were instilling values and mm-hmm. I'll get to that in a second. The second was even the violence with my mom and dad, it never could puncture the bubble of love that was around. Mm-hmm. Our, it never even, quite never questioned that it, oh, does that mean you don't love it? No, use it all the time. I love you. I just don't like you right now. But the values of this got my first butt whooping for not answering to my name, got my second one for saying I can't. Yeah. Got my third one for saying I hate you to my brother. And my fourth one for lying. Now, those are antonyms. What does that tell you? Always answer to your name. Know who you are. Say I'm having trouble. Not I can't. Don't hate. And don't lie. Those are four pretty good reasons to get your butt whooped. (laughs) If you don't do those things. And so there were values instilled in the discipline that my parents gave us. And my dad, that night you speak of, I'd stolen that pizza. I knew about it. Of course, I came home and I groveled and thought I could get away from it. And kiddos right. out there, if you've ever done something wrong and like steal a pizza or whatever, if you come home and your parents go, did you pay for the pizza? It means they know you didn't. So just right. say, <laughs> no, I stole it. Anyway, I did not do that. I, well, I think, I mean, you know, I, uh, 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 and my dad asked me again and I could see was oh. just getting exhausted. Because he wanted me to just have the guts and the courage as of his son to go, yeah, we, we stole it. He would have gone, well, buddy, I've stolen plenty of pizzas in my time. Right, dang it. Now here, let me tell you how to get away with it better or whatever. You know what I mean? It would have been like coming together. But because I groveled and I kept lying and had my tail between my legs, he finally he just I remember hopping off the bed. He goes, I'm going to give you one last chance. Just tell me. Did you know that you were going to steal that pizza? And I did. This is after I've already said it didn't it And I went, well, I mean, but, and he, boom, came off and backhanded me. And I mean, I crumbled to the ground, not because of the strike, because my cowardly little lactic acid legs, who knew I was <laughs> my butt off, just cramped up on me. And I'm like, felt so ashamed of myself. And my dad, I saw the pain in his face. Just like, man, just whack. What am I? What have I done? What, what I need to do is your father. And you tell that, tell don't lie to me, son. What about the damn pizza? It's that you're lying to me. Great value that.
0: Yeah. And let's talk about your mom for a second, because I love, oh my God, I never knew the story of A Time to Kill, but that moment, that scene, you paint that picture, Mother's Day, and she says to you that thing that she said to you before, which is, you say
1: it, what does she tell you? Well, it's Mother's Day, I'm going to go in for a um, screen test for A Time to Kill. Joel Schumacher, the director, had set up. It was on a Sunday, Mother's Day. He set up in a very private little studio because he goes, I don't want the industry to know about this because even if you do great, you're probably not going to get the job. And I don't want to go on your record as, oh, I tried to get it and didn't get it. And before the car, one of the first black cars that ever picked me up, came to pick me up, I called Mm -hmm. my mom. And uh, I remember her saying, I think she said, what? Don't walk in there like you. You like you want
0: to buy it, walk in like you own it. Like
1: own it. it. <laughs> Which was like, that's what Mom was always good for. She' was always like, <clears throat> just I'll trump your confident gesture right now. You walk in there like you own it. You are you are the character, go do it. And I go in there and there's a full jury set up. It's like a full scene in a movie, 30 person crew and everything. And I go out and it's the final summation that we're doing for the audition. And I do the final summation word for word, hit it, nail every point. It's really good. And then Joel goes, Great, Matthew, great. Now throw the script away and just say what you would say. Matt threw the script away. And I went in my head, you know, the scene is they're trying to get a man who who murdered the man who raped his daughter. So I started thinking about if that was my daughter, if it was my sister. And I started talking, no script, and just got heated and was like just salivating at the mouth and saying words that you cannot say in a courtroom. But I'm going on and on and I'm just getting on a run and I've got this jury going, whoa. And all of a sudden, Joel in the middle of my streams goes, cut, cut, cut. He got it. Got it. That's enough. Thank you, Matthew. And what he wanted to see was, could I get to the emotion? Forget the words. Could I get the emotion? And then whatever, three weeks later, I get a call and I got the job. It was for a Time to Kill and showed up and um, did that job. And that, that that movie is what really put me on a, on a major map.
0: Oh, yeah, I remember it well. I think the whole world does. And I love what you say about walking down Third Street Promenade to get your tuna sandwich, and you're like, I walk, there's like 400 people, I think three people turn their head, and then I go the next day after the movie opens, and what happens?
1: Well, the world, you know, the Friday before Time to Kill opens, I'm walking down the promenade, 400 people, 396 mind their own business, four people (laughs) staring at me, two girls think I'm cute, and two guys like my shoes. Now, (laughs) cut to the Monday after opening weekend, I walked down the same promenade to go get that tuna sandwich and the world is inverted. Now 396 are staring at me and four aren't. And one of them's blind. So it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's the, the, you know, I Friday before time to kill, I want to do a hundred scripts. I'll do anything to do any 100 of these scripts in front of me. Well, 99 knows you can't do these. One of them, you maybe can do this. one. Now cut to the Monday after time to kill inverted 99. Yes. Do this one. Yes. You can do this one. Any of these. I'm like, Whoa. Uh, this is awesome. Great. I think, <laughs> wow. Uh, I'm famous. What do I do with all this influence yeah. and options? how do I not be a tyrant of myself? You're supposed to ask me, you're asking me what I want to do when two days ago I would have done any of this and, and couldn't. And now you're telling me you can do any of it. you want me to be discerning. <laughs> Ooh, I think I need more than 24 hours in a day, but last I checked, they're not given anymore. So I took a walkabout and as you said, you mentioned earlier, I've taken many calibrations and recalibrations in my life where I'm like, I got to go get away where I can, my head, my heart can get more aligned and I can let memory catch up to me where I can honestly feel my feet on the ground.
0: I cannot get enough of this conversation, but before we keep going, let's just thank our sponsor. Thanks to Jenny Life for supporting Don't Keep Your Day Job. Ladies, listen up. Not only do men have more life insurance than women, they have twice as much coverage and Jenny Life wants to shrink that gap. It doesn't matter if you're a working mom, single mom, expecting mom single, or if your kids are four-legged fur babies, you still need life insurance, you need Jenny Life. I think it's really important to have life insurance in place, especially since I'm a mom with three young girls and I'm the breadwinner of my family. So I need to make sure that my family is taken care of in case, God forbid, something would happen. And Jenny Life makes this fast and easy. With Jenny Life, you can just go online and get your life insurance policy without blood work or unnecessary red tape. And best of all, you don't even have to leave your house. They ask five simple questions, curate plans from dozens of A-rated insurance carriers, and give you a personalized, budget-friendly life insurance quote in seconds. For example, a healthy 32-year-old woman can get a half a million dollars in coverage for about a dollar a day without ever stepping into a doctor's office. Life insurance is something every woman should have in place, so take a few minutes to get your Jenny Life policy right now. Visit JennyLife.com slash DreamJob to get a free quote right now. That's JennyLife.com slash DreamJob for your life insurance quote today. JennyLife.com slash dreamjob. So many of our listeners would love to have one ounce of one ounce of one ounce of your life, of your success. And I'm curious what advice you would give to people who feel like the biggest thing I hear from our audience is it's not possible for me. There's no room for me. So they give up, you know, they take one hit to the jaw and they're out. Right. And your your whole thing is about really showing up and getting busy living. So what do you say to people who don't think that they they think that there's just magic for you? Like that's your destiny and it's not written in the stars for them.
1: Look, there's a lot of things that I have no explanation for of green lights that have fallen in my lap. Good fortune, me being in the right place at the right time. Look, what happens if I don't walk in the bar that night? What if I don't say to Joel Schumacher, hey, I think I should play the lead role. So, I've had some good fortune that I have, that has no science to it that I can tell. I'm in a place where I'm fortunate enough to have started something and have a career that I love. I, I, I don't know if it's fair to say to everybody, just do what you love. Well, no, there's some things we love to do, but we're not, maybe not really fashioned to do. There's something yeah. that we can work our butt off. Like if I want to, man, I, I, I love basketball. Or I want to be a Washington, now called the football team running back when I was young. Well, five, 11, three quarters, one ninety, yeah, and wasn't gonna cut it. That was not gonna happen. As much as I wanted to do that, I don't have the innate ability to do that. So where can we match our innate abilities with our giddy up, with our hustle? Where can we go? I'm, I have a natural affection for this. I'm turned on by this. I think I'm good at this. My friends tell me I'm good at this thing and I'm willing to work for it. I'm willing to hustle. I'm willing to out-prepare the person next to me. I'm willing to compete to be more competent at that so-said job. That is one thing to initially look at if we can and say, where can we match in our innate abilities, mm-hmm. which we have different innate abilities, with our work ethic. Um, so look, sometimes it's about persistence. I've gotten a lot of things by resilience and persistence, and I've out-endured the situation. But at the same time... If you're persistent pursuing the wrong thing, you're acting out the definition of insanity.
0: Right.
1: Meaning you're banging your head against a wall, trying to get, trying to break something down and what even what's on the other side of it may not even be for you. And I've been guilty of that too. So the next option, if you don't want to just out endure somebody, which is a good one, a lot of us, I think quit too soon. And I think there's a lot of people that don't get what they want because they quit too soon or are afraid of the failure afraid of taking the risk of the failure which i'm trying to still learn in my life who cares talk like what you said earlier it's the things you don't that we don't try give it a try who cares and every time you think you're gonna be embarrassed if you fail almost every time the other people you think you failed worse than they think you failed. but if it's not endurance if it's not about endurance for you which it might be the second thing would be pivot all right wait a minute i'm banging my head on this wall and i am breaking a sweat every day trying to make this work and it ain't happened do I need to reapproach this situation from another angle? Do I need to to back off of, of what I think I know and have another look, another approach, look at it from another POV? Because sometimes you do that and you go, Oh, I've been banging my head on it, but I forgot to look down. There's a doorknob. Oh, just open the door. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or yeah. dance around the situation. Come into it dancing through the range instead of coming in like a bull, you know, ballet your way through it sometimes. <laughs> um so, those are two things. And a tool that I bring up in the book is when faced with the inevitable, get relative. But when do we deem a situation inevitable? I'll say this. You know, I'm, I'm somebody who likes to write the headline before I write the story. I'm someone who likes to let's paint the poster of the movie before we start shooting, just so mm-hmm. we can kind of see where we're going. It may change by the time. We get there. <laughs> but let's write this headline and see if I can will this into power and realize this, a la the Dallas Buyers Club thing. We just put that up there. We wrote the headline, we're doing it. And we willed it into happening. And enough of us did not flinch, did not ask permission that it willed into happening. Uh, there's cert- definitely certain circumstances though, where you write that headline and make that poster and you go after it, and you're not even evolving on the way there. It's just the wrong track.
0: So
1: yep. when do we deem it inevitable? In a situation of I'm either doing this, it's happening, or maybe the inevitability of it's not. And then how do we get relative with that? The endurance or the pivoting I talked about is the relativity with the inevitable. We all have our own measure of when we deem a situation inevitable, whether a relationship's going to work out. Oh, it's hard. We're going through this hard time with my wife. Well, what's inevitable? We're going to work this. We're going to do everything I can to make this relationship work. A lot of times that can be the answer. There are other couples that, They're probably best separating because no matter how much hard work you try and do, you're better off without each other. Now, when we deem that as personal to each of us, nobody can come tell you that, you know, when that time is. Um, So it's a constant dance between those two. But first, I would say, what are your don't do things that are going to sabotage or trespass on taking your own soul away. I believe in the place where I call it the egotistical utilitarian. There is a honey hole where we can make choices for ourselves that happen to be the choice that's best for the most amount of people. It's, I call it, where we want what we need and we need what we want. That's heaven on earth. Think about that. If everything we desired was actually what we needed and it made our mouth water too, it's like the broccoli that tastes good. <laughs> like, oh, that's where I want to go right there. You know, where is that that question that we constantly go? I have to understand that there's a responsibility to freedom, that there's a freedom in responsibility, where those two dance continuously. I mean, again, what's the long view? What's the long money choice that may be hard work right now, but I'm telling you, it's gonna give me some green lights in the future. Mm -hmm. This choice I made is gonna give me less debit in my relationships or my career in the future. It's going to get back to me because I'm starting to get better at it. And I got a feeling I'm going to start looking forward to Monday mornings to go to work because I'm kind of getting good at this thing. And people are telling me I'm good at it and I'm getting a paycheck and let's keep getting away with this. So, you know, make those choices, tee yourself up as much as you can, even down to this simple things. Put the coffee in the coffee filter the night before, because sometimes it's hard to make a coffee when you have (laughs) coffee. And ain't it fun to wake up and go, oh, look at that. I treated myself nicely last night. All I got to do is push the button. (laughs) So, that's a long winded, roundabout answer to ask yourself, try and understand. We talk about this in the book, it's hard to know who we are. It's hard. So, if you don't know who you are, get rid of who you aren't. And by process of elimination, you'll have more of who you are sitting in front of you. Yeah. And if you match an innate ability with your work ethic and hustle, that's usually your best chance for making something happen.
0: Yeah, it's so beautiful. And in, in summing up the book, you actually mentioned. Uh, what's going on right now in the quarantine, and how many people maybe were searching our souls for a better way forward? Yeah. What do you want to say to everybody about that?
1: Hmm. Well, first, I hope we don't have civil war after the election.
0: Oh uh, yeah, me too.
1: Um, we've been stripped down to deal with our necessities at this time. It's been fair. It's been unfair. There's a cultural revolution election year, we don't know who to trust. We start distrusting ourselves. We don't know what to believe in. Our leadership's kind of wobbly. I don't know what politics is. Jeez, oh man, who's doing what? So in this time of where so many of us don't know our identity and we're unemployed, we got to cling on to something to give me some purpose. So I cling on to a radical extreme on a left or a right issue. And I'm not even sure what I'm for. All I know is I'm against that. So, I don't know how to build myself up right now, so I think I'll just put you down. That'll give me a little breath, maybe I feel better. For a second, yeah, you feel better for a second, but it's short money, it's short money. We all could use a little amnesty right now, we all could use some resilience right now, we all, it's a good time to ask ourselves, look in the mirror and say, I value, question mark. What's the long game? What's the long money for what we value? I value money, that's fine. I value family. Fine. But what our order in America of what we deem and call you successful for, what what we get respect for in America is what? Money and fame. You made it. That's fine. But at the expense of what? At the expense of who? At the expense of another broken family because I wanted to go do this and let them handle themselves? At the expense of my own integrity that, hey, I might die with A whole lot of money, but I got no friends and I lied, cheat, and stole my way to get here. And I got a lot of people not showing up at my funeral. You know, What's the long money choices? If we can see it, it's hard right now to see our future. And what is the steps out? I think it starts, I don't know how to make systemic change. I think we should need to challenge ourselves right now to look in the mirror and say, how can I be a little bit better? And if I try to be a little bit better and you try to be a little bit better and other listeners try to be a little bit better, then all of a sudden we do start making collective change to move forward. And I would ask, what's your value? And that list will change. It changes through a life. What I valued at 20, I value something differently now at 50. Probably value have my values will have another sort of order when I'm 60. But keep asking ourselves that and say, what's the stuff that's really going to last? How can we live today in a way that we'll look forward to looking back? Life's our resume. That's writing the story that will be our eulogy. And that story, the life we live right now will introduce us forever when we're gone. Kiddos out there, every little comment you got online every little click. Remember, they're going to outlive you. Those will be on your resume of life after you're long, long gone. So before you write it to make yourself feel better by putting somebody else down just for that little, little instant hit of gratification that doesn't last. Remember, do you want that on your life story? Man. And then also, how about a little forgiveness? Yeah. <laughs> how about a little forgiveness? We're human, you know? let's quit playing God around here and give everyone a break. And if someone seeks real retribution and is really sorry for something, damn it, forgive them. Don't throw your forgiveness around. But if someone really wants retribution for something say, man, I screwed up. I'm sorry. I'll try better on that. Give them a little forgiveness. We're all in this rodeo together. And there is room for everybody to win their own proverbial blue ribbon. There's not one ribbon. Not everyone can win the blue ribbon in the same race, but there's, so many races to run you're like
0: the only person in hollywood who speaks just so pure in this way i mean there's such cancel culture now and i feel like what you just said like if the person's willing to listen right like can we give this person a chance to then come back and say like i'm human and i messed up it's like no no they're canceled it's ridiculous
1: it's it's (laughs) what i remember my family taught me this I called somebody a liar one time when I was a kid and they go, no, no, no. Is he whole, his whole being a liar or did he just tell a lie? I was like, Oh, well, no, he just told a lie. They go, there's a big difference. Don't throw the blanket and cancel the whole person out. Yeah. You, you can tell him you told a non-truth right there and I'm getting you for lying. That is a lie that we can incriminate that has consequences, but don't say the whole person's a freaking liar. That's not true. And it's not fair.
0: Yeah. What's amazing, I feel like every human should read this book because while everybody right now is in this major pattern interrupt, this pause, right? And I think maybe it's so uncomfortable, it's going to force us to make some better choices. But what's, um, it's literally amazing. It's astonishing to me reading this book is early on, you're like living in an RV, like Airstream, so nicest one, but you're not settling down in some mansion in Beverly Hills, like not interested. Like talk about- introspection and giving yourself time to reflect like this period of covid you've been taking these moments out from life many many times like whenever things start to get super fast you're like hang on hang on who am i what do i really want and it's pretty awe-inspiring to see instead of just being automatic you're like hang on like who am i really
1: yeah i just look i've had many times where i haven't gone autopilot where my certain rules were like, look, just be a gentleman and don't lie because your frequency is so off right now. Just don't say anything stupid. <laughs> and I, re- I would read those interviews and I was like, geez, that's a boring interview. You didn't incriminate yourself. Didn't say something stupid, but it's pretty damn boring. <laughs> so I've had many of those moments. You see, I calibrate and recalibrate. I have been happy when I look back at my threshold for when I felt like, oh, I'm off my frequency a little bit. I got to go find my frequency um, I need to get out of here and go have some alone time. So the first 12 days, usually when I go away on my own are hell, not comfortable. I do not like the company I'm keeping. And that company's me. Mm. My, I feel guilt. I feel shame. I feel ugly. I, I feel weak. I feel lost. I feel like bashing myself and and have no, do not forgive myself at all for the first 12 days. But I've learned that from early on, those sleepless nights when I was like, okay, I got to pull the parachute. Let me just go back home or let me go out back to my friends or, or you know, go have a drink, go back. Let me just do something to entertain myself to I think about it. I've learned to go, well, number one, I usually go far enough where I can't get back home, <laughs> which is part of a trick. Go far enough away where you can't, you don't have the choice to pull the parachute. But I've learned that if you stick with it, you know, eventually for me, I've gone, okay, let's figure this out. What are we going to forgive you for, McConaughey, and what are we going to say the buck stops here on that? We're changing that about ourselves. And let's work this out, because the only person I'm stuck with is you, McConaughey, so we better figure out how to get along. And about day 12, 13, I usually have a breakthrough of a purge, and I wake up, and for the first time, I'm light as a feather and present because I went through the self sort of penance. And I always felt early on that there was some prudence in sticking in, sticking with it and trusting that you will come out the other side if you don't pull the parachute. Trust the ground is much further away than you think it is. Don't pull the parachute too early. You will come through it and see if you just stick with it and then you'll figure out what you forgive yourself for, what you forgive the world for and what you're not gonna put up with anymore with yourself. And that's when you kind of come out the other side Feeling much more human. All of a sudden, I get my wake up. Always, this always happens. I wake up day 13, I got my wink back. (laughs) I got my wink back. I'm seeing the same thing I saw the first 12 days, but I'm seeing it in a whole different way through different eyes. I'm seeing humor everywhere. I'm seeing smiles. I'm going to walk by the mirror and wink at myself and go, like, you know what I mean? For the first time in 12 days and go, like, okay, cool. We're on this journey together, man. Let's do this. So that's me and me. I think there's prudence in doing it. And everybody, This moment in time is maybe giving some of us some time to take that inventory. And I say, if you can, take it and know that it is uncomfortable. (laughs) Know that it's like, I got to get the hell out of here. But it's a good thing to stick through the times where we're uncomfortable in our own skin. But go to a place where you don't have all of the things to placate you all of the attention or or you, that where you don't get have always have someone there to go, oh, it's okay, poor baby. No, go through it with yourself and go, we're gonna work this out, me and you. And if you're a person of faith, work it out with God. He, she, it, seen it all. <laughs> ain't surprising, ain't surprising the G-O-D at all. They're just sitting over there going like, I've been over here waiting. Uh all you gotta do is come through the door. I'm not gonna sit here and solicit you to come. I'm over here if you want to come on in, come on. And I've found this, there comes a place where when you feel, for me, I know where it's like, okay, I'm in the, in, in, the, in the palm of God's hand, and whatever someone wants to call that supreme being, whatever you want to call that, even if you're agnostic, in the, in the palm of, of the prime mover's hand, right? Oh, I'm nothing. Oh, uh, you know, pop up in that Google eye in the sky and have a look at where we are on the earth, the little dot we are, as the earth turns, and notice it's been turning For thousands of years and will continue to turn for thousands or more and just when we go oh none of this matters is when you go oh it all matters and then (laughs) in that spot of the greatest and cleanest humility you find the greatest confidence and power and I'm saying that for agnostics as well. You don't have to be a believer to understand that. Just go outside and look up at the end of the night and wait till you see a few shooting stars to go, wow, talk about the 4th of July. There's the big show going on right there.
0: Wow. I mean, it makes so much sense. We live in such an empathy deficit and it makes so much sense why you can have empathy and help people meet in the middle because you you come home to the dark night of the soul and you find empathy for yourself and you release any shame. I think people walk around with so much shame that it's so easy to point fingers at other people because we, we don't forgive ourselves for anything, right? And so we just heap that on each other. And so you are such a lightning rod for goodness and compassion and playfulness. And I love the last thing I just want to say is that you said, I want to quit acting like be me. So I don't know what that's going to look like over the next decade or two or four or 14 decades, but I think there needs to be a lot more of you just being you and talking and letting us in because you're just one in a zillion.
1: Wow. Well, thank you. I mean, (laughs) we're all on our own personal journey. I think we all enjoy trying to be our better, truer selves. Yeah. I think we all want to want to do that. And what other greater adventure do we have? There's no greater adventure. There's no greater subject. There's nobody better to interrogate and investigate ourselves than ourselves. And to forgive things along the way, not forgive everything, because that would mean we kind of don't give a damn. And then we're kind of an anarchist and there's no meaning. No, we want meaning. And meaning has consequences, good bad, but just to go, well, that's part of the rodeo. And I'm I willing to ride. Get our eight seconds in, hopefully, <laughs> you know? gonna ride the bull for eight seconds in this eight seconds of time whatever we're in i mean why not
0: you're the best tell us where we can find this book tell us where we can be a part of everything that you're doing
1: oh uh, thank you so um green lights goes on sale october the 20th all bookstores anywhere um or now whatever the day it is right now leading up to the 20th i'll be continuing a tour i've talked with john grisham I've talked with Reese Witherspoon. I've talked with Oprah. I'm going to talk with Dwayne the Rock Johnson <laughs> coming up. Idris Elba, Ethan Hawke, uh, Woody Harrelson. Yeah, call green lights, and hopefully, here's to creating more for ourselves and others moving forward. And this year, hey, we have an opportunity to turn this year 2020 into a green light. I don't know when that's going to be. But we have an opportunity to pull the assets out of this time and reveal the assets of this time in this time of a new beginning, this time of our own purge as a people. Um, as tragic as a year as it's been for some, and as awkward of a year as it's been for almost everybody, there are green lights to pull out of this year. And I don't know what they are, but I think we all know they're there.
0: Totally. I agree with you. Everybody loves the butterfly, but the cocoon is where all the growth is happening, right? It's like yeah. all the good stuff and... I don't think when it goes back to normal, whatever that means, people are gonna be like, wait a minute, I wanna live outside the city. I wanna spend time with my kids. I wanna, maybe there's something amazing here. And and you are, you're the ambassador for all those good things. Thank you for all of this. I can't even believe it. I'm sitting here trying to act like a human, but I'm like, am I alive? Really? You're the best. Thank you for being on the show.
1: Really enjoyable and thank you for having me. And really enjoyed talking to you anytime.
0: Oh my goodness, I still really can't believe that was like a dream, talking to Matthew. Okay, here are the takeaways. Number one, you can engineer green lights in your life by the person you are and the choices you make. Number two, you can't please everyone. Don't do things that sabotage or trespass on your soul. Number three, just keep living, L-I-V-I-N. Number four, start getting rid of who you aren't by process of elimination. You'll eventually have more of who you are sitting in front of you. Number five, now is the time to look in the mirror and ask yourself, what do I value and why? How can I be a little bit better? How can I live today in a way that I'm gonna look forward to looking back on? Life is our resume and it's writing the story that will become our eulogy. Number six, we're all in this rodeo together. There's room for everyone to win their own blue ribbon. There are so many different races to run. Number seven, don't pull the parachute just yet. Stick with it and trust you'll come out on the other side. Number eight, there's no greater adventure than trying to become our better, truer selves. And number nine, we have an opportunity to turn 2020 into a green light. We have an opportunity to pull and reveal the assets out of this time. This is a time of new beginnings. Guys, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for showing up. Thank you for listening, but really listening to this show and letting it enter your heart. I know that there's so much on your plate right now. I know that everyone's busy. I know that everyone's juggling everything and you're here and your time is the most valuable thing that you have and you're giving it to be here right now. And it means the world to me. We have so many incredible episodes coming up. So if you're not already subscribed, come on. What are you waiting for? Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen because it is free. And let me just ask you this. Did you enjoy today's episode? Is there someone you know Who could benefit from listening? Would they take something away from this? If so, and I believe the answer is yes, then go ahead and share the episode. Text it, email it, post about it on Instagram, and tag me and tag Matthew. Let Matthew see that even though he's been on all these other podcasts, that this audience is here. And we have a battle cry that we are part of this movement of human beings who are making the green lights, who are changing our communities. Let him see it. So tag me and tag Matthew and let him see that you were listening to him on this show. I'll repost it. He'll be loving it. I love you guys. I'll leave you with a song and I'll talk to you Thursday. The podcast is a production of Authentic. For more info on advertising in this show, visit AuthenticShows.com.